Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Well, fame is ignored, action is his reward. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. This is episode 286 for February 2014. Okay, time for uh, Spider History with JR. We're going back to 2001 February. And in this month, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, number 26, came out, written by Howard Mackey, art by John Romita Jr., and this one's called The Mask. Take us there, JR. Yes, it really is Volume 2, number 26, and because this this <laughs> is this is firmly within the Byrne-slash-Mackey reboot era. Um, yep. Although it is almost over and there is light at the end of the tunnel because there are only three more issues of that left. Um, this is a one-part tale that brings back one of Spider-Man's deadliest enemies, <laughs> the, the squid. <laughs> the guy that oozes black ink. Um, he had appeared earlier in, and I didn't have time to go back and pull this issue out and look at it, but there was an earlier issue of, I think, um, when Mackie was doing both Amazing and Peter Parker, I think the Squid, and there were a bunch of other goofy villains, because I think Spider-Man was going through sort of a surreal night of the villains thing where all these guys were showing up. So, um, But anyway, that, that, that appearance is irrelevant to this one. Um, right. But basically, the story opens, this happens right after... Uh, were um, the the story where Norman tries to brainwash Peter into more or less being his heir, and uh, so Spider Man is sitting contemplating. He said, "Man, you know Norman really shook me up, uh, but he he made me realize that boy, I I really don't know anything about my mom and dad. I mean, I know what they were, but I really don't know them as people." Uh, and then meanwhile, there's a mysterious black inky thing with tendrils that's taking out business owners who won't sell and relocate. Okay, so then we go to Peter and Aunt May, and they're going through some old photographs uh, of uh, the Parker brothers, uh, Ben and Richard. And Peter's going, gee, I really don't know that much about my dad. you know. And then when he goes to the Daily Bugle and hears, sees Randy and Robbie talking together, and you know the same issue comes up, and Robbie suggests that... Uh, you know, Pete, why don't you go find some old friends of your dad and see what they thought? And since Aunt May had mentioned a close friend, of course, who we have never heard of before, uh, Big Mike Callahan, uh, who now owns a bar in New York, Peter decides to go uh, search him out. And, you know, kind of what's strange in this whole story is Peter and Aunt May are talking about, you know, Richard, is that... You know, the, during the whole, I knew my dad was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent along with my mom, and they were killed by the Red Skull, which I found out in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 5, but then 30 <laughs> years later I was led to believe that their deaths were faked, and they spent all this time in a Soviet prison camp and were released when the Cold War ended and came to New York. And just as I was starting <laughs> to bond with them, it was discovered that there was the, they were really robots created by the chameleon who was trying to discover the connection between Peter Parker and Spider-Man, so he created these robot parents, but it turns out that he wasn't the mastermind behind that scheme at all, but it was really Harry Osborn who planned it, and it this is one of Harry's posthumous schemes to get back at me after he died. But then later we found out that Harry never really died either. But 
you know, wow. for some for some reason that never gets brought up in this story. Um, <laughs> that you know that takes away from the Everman when your parents are Shield agents, doesn't it? That was <laughs> an unnecessary. That really didn't work. Poor Stan, that was a misstep. Yeah, it was it was a misstep. They 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 yeah. didn't have to be Shield agents. Uh, and see, the only reason for them to be Shield agents that might have worked was when they did that one flashback story where it turns out they actually saved Wolverine, you know, and they knew Wolverine. And so here's here's a type, you know, Wolverine worked with Spider-Man's parents, and it's never been brought up. It's yeah. never been used. <laughs> so Wasn't that in the zero issues or minus one yeah, issues? Yeah, the minus one issues. Yeah. 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 All right, so Peter goes to visit Big Mike, and Big Mike is a big guy. You know, <laughs> so which is why, you know, why you, when I talk like Big Mike, I talk like this. But anyway, right. Peter notices that uh, Big Mike is yelling at some really skinny, skeevy-looking dude. Well, anyway, this skeevy, skinny-looking, slimy, greasy, pimply-faced dude happens to be <laughs> Big, Big Mike's son. Anyway, so well, then Peter comes in, and Big Mike ignores his skeevy, slimy son and says, Hey, you must be Red Parker's kid. Hey, you look just like him. Hey, let me pick you up and squeeze you like a sack of Charmin. You know, and then... <laughs> Big and then Big Mike, you know, and this is the thing, you know, Big Mike starts talking about how he and you know Richard used to be hellraisers and partiers and big studs with the ladies, uh, and you know that you know, and Aunt May had mentioned that that Richard was a hellraiser, and I don't think we've ever that's ever been uh, uh, really part of that character's personality, uh, but yeah. yeah, whatever, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, but even though, you know, even though your dad and me used to go around and screw a bunch of whores, he was a real stand-up guy. Um, and then, uh, and boy, when he was with those whores, he really stood up, if you know what I mean. Uh, uh, anyway, so, so he, he tells this rather kind of banal story about where, you know, Richard Parker faced down some guy who was beating on his kid, you know, and. You know, he got in the way, and the, the, the bully hit him, and, you know, Richard just stood there and said, well, you know, how do you think your son would have survived that hit, you know? And then, of course, the father's, you know, and sulks, and, you know, and that's an example of how Richard Parker's a stand-up guy. And, and all during this, Big Mike is shoehorning in words like power and responsibility, and it, it just is very awkward, comes off very awkward. Anyway, the squid shows up. And Peter, you know, slips away to become a Spider-Man and starts fighting the squid. But then the squid happens to be Big Mike's skeevy kid. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, anyway, a skeevy kid with a name who's going by the squid, you know he's got to have daddy issues. And so he's got daddy issues. And it turns out he's mad because his dad didn't pay attention to him. His dad spent all his time working at his bar. Yeah, 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 get out my violin and let me play it. Uh <laughs> Anyway, so Spider-Man, you know, gets in the way. The squid is going to clobber his old man. And Spider-Man gets in the way, and the squid hits Spider-Man. So Spider-Man says the same profound thing to the squid that Big Mike just told Peter that his dad said. You know, do you think your dad really would have survived that hit? How would you have felt if you'd really hurt him? You know, I'm thinking, yeah, way to protect the old secret identity there, Pete. You know, by saying the exact same thing you were told by, you know, this guy in your civilian identity. And then, you know, the squid goes, I'm sorry, Dad. 
And that's it. And then we go back to Aunt May and Peter sitting on the couch looking at old pictures, you know, and May said, yeah, Peter, the more I look at you, you, I really see that you're your father's son. And then Peter says, I'm starting to see that too, Aunt May. Oh, <laughs> heavy handed. Oh, huh? my heavens. More, but Oof. compared to the previous year of Amazing Spider-Man, this was a classic. <laughs> Because (laughs) that year, that second year of the reboot, the year that Mary Jane got off, that was some of the worst ever. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. This, this, again, it could have been a decent story. I mean, why not? But it again, it was just uh, you know trying to hammer, you know, uh, Mackie apparently gone to the Gary Conway school of hammering home your points. (laughs) Nice. Uh, also, what came out this month is uh, Spider-Man Volume 2, number 26, <laughs> by uh, Paul Jenkins and Joe Bennett. This one's called Police Story. What happened here, JR? Well, as you all know, in a way, it was kind of a refreshing take on Spider-Man, particularly after just the, you know, the dreadful you know, uh, stories we'd been getting earlier. And then even before that, you know, the clone saga and everything, everything just got, you know, way too convoluted, complex, stories never wrapped up, riddles piled upon riddles. So Paul Jenkins took an approach, which did better suit him as a writer, of telling relatively short, one-part stories, uh, focusing on maybe not not, not so much, you know, Spider-Man fighting the villain of the day, but Spider-Man as a human being or, you know, how, you know, things when he, you know, growing up with Uncle Ben. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. This is an example of one that really didn't work. Uh, this is one of those, it, it's, um, you know, man on the street opinion of Spider-Man. Uh, well, maybe not really the man on the street, but anyway, there's this unseen interviewer who's going around to various people asking them about Spider-Man. We start off with a, with an old veteran cop talking about Spider-Man, and then we go to like the police commissioner, then we go to an assistant DA, and then we go to a forensic scientist, and everybody gives their opinion of Spider-Man. You know, some like him, some don't. Uh, and they all have this annoying tendency to call him the Spider-Man. Oh, the Spider-Man? Yeah, I've met him before. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, no, nobody ever called Spider-Man the Spider-Man. I mean, right. he's Spider-Man. You know, I mean, he's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's the guy that you, you know, sit, you know, you pass by a laundromat and see him doing his laundry. You know, he's not the Batman. So that is just <laughs> that's really awkward and it's really annoying. Um, the twist of the story, though, is that the old beat cop who's given his opinion of Spider-Man in the beginning turns out to be the very same cop. Remember, there were two cops in issue one twenty-two who confronted Spider-Man after Gwen Stacy died. And Spider-Man was cradling Gwen's body, and one cop was ready to run him in, and the other said, you know, wait a minute, no, I don't see a guy who killed a girl. I see a man who's in a lot of pain. Well, this cop was that cop. So, nice. You know, uh, it's, you know, it's for completest only. Mm-hmm. So... It it's a, a tale written for the long timers, if anything. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind yeah. of a real. I mean, yeah, it really is. In the case that is continuity porn. Exactly. 
Um, there was a lot, and I mean a lot, of Spider-Man miniseries that came out in February 2011. I mean, 2001, I'm sorry. One of them was uh, Daredevil slash Spider-Man, it, uh, again, written by Paul Jenkins. Had beautiful uh, Alex Ross cover art. I know, George, you're not a big fan, <laughs> but uh, I, I loved the cover art of this. T- tell me what happened in issue number two of The Sting. Okay, well, um, this was a four-part mini, like, like you said, written by our old, putty Paul, <coughs> our old, putty, our old buddy <laughs> Paul Jenkins. Uh, yeah. And you forgot the artist of the uh, the series. You oh, met, you got oh. so wrapped up in the praise in the great Alex Ross that you forgot oh, yeah. that the artist was a guy by the name of Phil Winslade. Right. So, yeah. But uh, I'm sure Phil will forgive you, maybe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, th- this is kind of a weird, weird little story. Um, okay. It starts off fairly conventional, uh, you know. Someone, you know, is moving, trying to move in on the Kingpin's territory. And we've not seen that before. Uh, you know, one of his casinos gets attacked and everybody gets shot up. One of his warehouses get blown, gets blown up. You know, uh, some of his merchant, hot merchandise gets stolen. You know, yeah, somebody's sending the old fat slob a message. Um, so part one ends with the Kingpin appearing to get blown up. And also in part one, anyways, Peter, Peter and Peter and and Daredevil, who of course know each other's secret identities at this time, because this is pre One More Day. Um, you know, they're comparing notes and saying, "Yeah, somebody's making a move on the Kingpin. We need to find out what it is." Well, Kingpin appears to get blown up in part one. Part two begins. Well, he's he's alive. Uh, the old bloated whale was just badly injured, but he's he's still alive and kicking. So. <laughs> Anyway, you know, uh, Daredevil and Spider-Man again are, you know, comparing notes on their, you know, mutually unsuccessful attempts to shake up, shake their snitches and come up with information. Um, one humorous moment in the, the, the movie or the movie in the book is when they're up on the rooftops and Spider-Man asks Daredevil is, if, when he's up that high on the building, whether he's had a urge to hawk a loogie uh, at anybody on the street. And, of course, Daredevil is not amused. Well... <laughs> The kingpin, being the clever dude he is, you know he he uh, he he knows, for example, that uh, or that you know since this occurred in his building and it was blamed on a gas explosion, that he's going his businesses are going to be sued. So he's going to hire the finest law firm in the city, and of course you know who that is, Nelson and Murdoch. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's somewhat of a premise to get Matt to visit him in the hospital, uh, and so you know. Basically, the kingpin says, you know, you know, and there's some good dialogue between the two. I mean, these guys obviously detest each other, but there's some dance. There's this, there's just this dance that they're playing, you know, and uh, the kingpin says, you know, someone's moving into my territory and you're just going to put on your little red monkey suit and you're going to go find him, you know, and <laughs> and Daredevil says, well, you know, you're full of shit. And uh <laughs> But nah, Jr. Did he say that? Is that exactly? What he said? <laughs> you know what? I was just thinking. You know what? George is going to accuse me of making up things. You know, like he did that one time. You know, and it's like that one time. Yeah, that several times. <laughs> You're just making up shit, Jr. Would I make up shit during Spider history? Anyway, yeah, um, you bet your sweet ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, um, the but the kingpin because of a clue that one of Daredevil's informants gave him, the kingpin figures out that it's their all everybody's old buddy, the owl. 
The owl making another attempt to be a crime lord in New York. How many times has the owl tried that? And who ever are you talking about? Who? Who is that again, Jr.? Who? Who are we talking about? That's the same thing. Who's on first, Jr.? Sorry. Anyway, Spidey and Daredevil follow the owl's trails down within the sewers in New York, but an explosion rocks through the sewers and stuns Daredevil. Spider-Man looks up and finds out who they've been looking for, and it turns out to be Daredevil's own personal frightful four. The owl, who appears to be the mastermind of this whole thing, Stiltman, the gladiator, who looks absolutely nothing like the gladiator that I remember seeing in Belmantlo's run on Spectacular Spider-Man, and this old enemy called Copperhead, who was supposedly electrocuted in a battle with Daredevil years ago. And so that ends part two. Did you like the miniseries back in the day? I've, I remember very little about it. Well, I'll, I'll kind of mention that as I kind of wrap up what happens here. Basically okay. what happens is we find out that the owl is not the mastermind. Copperhead is. And mm. Copperhead was re- really was dead, and he was brought back from the dead by the devil to claim some souls. And eventually, Copperhead, they track Copperhead down. He's created a portal into the dark dimension. The owl jumps into it, taking Copperhead with him, and the, the portal closes, and that's it. Okay. Now, I like Paul Jenkins. I like a lot of his stuff, but his payoffs very seldom matched his buildups. Um this it it's not a bad story. There's some good lines between Daredevil and Spider Man, particularly when Daredevil's you know, who's always very serious, has finally had it with Spider Man's jokes. And Spider Man says, You know what? I'm getting sick of your Zen warrior from Hell's Kitchen bullshit too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so and uh, and the art is really I really like the art. I um I like mm-hmm. Slade's art. I mean, he makes Spider-Man look spidery. You know, Spider-Man is a, you know, he doesn't look like that, you know, bloated Earth-X Spider-Man that uh, showed up occasionally during a, a brand new day. You know, he's thin, he's wiry, he kind of, you know, is takes strange positions. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, what does that mean? Well, strange positions? Strange, strange anatomically incorrect positions. <laughs> like Maybe not like, you know, like Tug McFarlane used to like to do, I guess. But anyway, okay. it looks it's a good look for Spider-Man, and he actually makes Stiltman look scary. So, mm, but... That's a trick. But, you know, yeah. But, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil are both street-level heroes, and this, this kind of story really suits neither one of them, so... Okay. Uh, the Mysterio Manifesto number two came out, written by Tom DeFalco, art by ooh, one of our favorites, J.R. Lee Weeks. This this one's called Evil the Dead Can Lie. Oh, even the Dead Can Lie. Sorry, you're having a lot of trouble reading and pronouncing these days. If I if Bailey hadn't zinged you years ago with a classic, raise your hand if you talk to people for a living. I would have brought that one out. But uh, I'm raising my hand to you, Jr. But you don't see it. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, well, this one we need a little bit of build up on this one uh, because because we have to get into the reasons why it even exists in the first place. But um, well, Spider, you know, all good fans know during the Clone Saga. Uh, Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man, Ben Riley was. Uh, and so during this time, allegedly, Mysterio 
uh, noticed that the Spider-Man at that time was not the Spider-Man he had spent years battling. So he was looking. So he was looking for another hero to torment. So Kevin Smith is writing Daredevil at this time, and Kevin Smith decides to bring Mysterio into Daredevil and have Mysterio torture Daredevil and and th- play with his mind and things like that. And at the end, Kevin Smith kills off Mysterio by making him kill himself. And what was Kevin Smith's well thought out answer as to why he killed off Mysterio? Because no one told me I couldn't. <laughs> nice. Just about. He just wanted. A, he just wanted a big boom at the end. I, is what he I, wanted. Who knows? And killing a Ditko villain is a big boom. Exactly. And every. Needless yeah. to say, I think everyone else, except whoever the editor was, who let him get away with it, everyone else thought this was an utterly stupid idea. But they could never figure a way around it. And so if you would like to read amazing, the Amazing Spider-Mans after this happened, and Mysterio would appear in some centers or six stories, it was always awkward. You know, it was like, you know, they gave the character this thing for pretending to kill himself. Uh, it just, no, no one really knew what to do with it. And so then when the Mysterio Manifesto came, well, wait a minute, I'm sorry, uh, because we have to talk about another character that appeared post-clone, sla- post-clone saga, J.M.D. Mateus created a new jack-o'-lantern, okay, but because the current, ja- the previous jack-o'-lantern, Jason McIndale, was now the Hobgoblin. <laughs> uh, so, but D. Mateus called this guy Mad Jack, and Mad Jack was actually he was pretty. He was an interesting character. He clearly had a grudge against Jonah Jameson. He knew the old Mysterio. He apparently considered him some kind of a mentor, along with another Demetrius creation called Conundrum, who we never saw again after Demetrius left that title. But other than that, his identity remained a mystery. And after his run on Spectacular ended, when Demetrius was asked who Mad Jack was, his answer, his response, I have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah. this series, Mysterio Manifesto, written by Tom DeFalco, promised to resolve a lot of those issues. And Tom DeFalco, who is one of our faves, he's a pretty reliable writer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think he tell he tells great stories, but he doesn't stumble that often. Uh, he tells he's a very consistent, dependable writer. Uh, unfortunately, this is one time he wasn't so dependable. Uh, well, it's basically cleaning of house miniseries is what it is. And it, it tried to do it and failed. Yeah. It okay. tried to do it and failed. Uh, and Daredevil is along for the ride because obviously Daredevil was right there when Mysterio apparently killed himself. So what's happening in this story? is that both Daredevil and Spider-Man are experiencing some weird-ass things going around. They compare notes and says, well, it sounds like Mysterio, except Mysterio's dead. Uh, and, but at least Spider-Man has the sense to say, uh, you know what, uh, I've kind of got experience with people who supposedly were dead and weren't really dead, so I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> uh, but anyway, obviously, you know, and Mad Jack is clearly the person who's behind all these weird things going on, and Mad Jack is talking to Mysterio's costume. Because it never moves. It's Mysterio's costume. Okay. So he captures Spider-Man at the end of issue one, 
And in the illusion, because Mysterio's got him hooked up to these machines, in Spider-Man's illusion, at the end of part one, he wakes up in the old penthouse that he and Mary Jane and Aunt May lived in prior to Mary Jane getting blown up. Uh, and, you know, Peter wakes up and there's Mary Jane, you know, right there, alive. Uh, mm. And so, you know, to be continued. Dun, dun, and then part two opens. And part two actually uh, has a pretty good start. Peter not only envisions Mary Jane being alive, but so is Baby May. Oh, yeah. In this universe, take your pick. Wow. MJ didn't miscarry. Norman didn't kidnap the baby. Or the mind wipe never happened. So anyway, there's there's MJ, there's there's Baby May, and then there's Aunt May, you know, who's living with them. And Aunt May knows Peter's Spider-Man, because this is about a year or two before JMS wrote the story where she found out. And Aunt May says, this city needs Spider-Man, and she shoves him out the door, and, and of course, she still is Aunt May. You know, she changes the lights, the, the lights in his spider, you know, his spider belt light, you know, and she tells him to wear his padded costume because it's cold, and so it's almost kind of like Spider-Man's perfect world. Um, and then Daredevil has some, you know, thinks of Karen Page, and, and he also, for whatever reason, envisions a fight with, I think, some of his, uh, maybe that's in part three, though. But anyway, he has, didn't, didn't Daredevil have some villains who were like animal, animals, like a gorilla and a tiger, <clears throat> something or other, he, um, some weird-ass villains. Possibly, yeah. Uh, but anyway, ultimately what happens in this story is that we find out, well, we think in issue two, we think it's Danny Burkhart behind everything. And, of course, because Jonah's been kidnapped, too, and Jonah is, you know, being talked to by Mad Jack. But then Mad Jack reveals himself to be Danny Burkhart, which kind of makes sense because Danny Burkhart, if you all remember, was Mysterio number two because Burkhart mm. was was Kevin, Kevin Beck, Glenn, uh, no, not Glenn. He was Glenn Beck. <laughs> God, uh, uh, Quentin Quentin back. back. Thank you. Jeez, I, yeah, yeah. I'm old. I'm the I'm the old fool that George referred to. I'm forgetting things. <laughs> Quentin Beck's cellmate. Quentin faked his death, uh, so Danny took on the role of Mysterio. Well, this appears to be logical, except then we find out that this is all an illusion too, and that. Mad Jack has got like little has got Danny Burkhardt and Quentin Beck robots doing his bidding. Mm. Well, in part three, we find out, or we think we find out, that Mysterio, the Mad Jack, is really a cousin of Mysterio that we've never heard of. Some chick oh. called McGuire Beck. And after when they take McGuire Beck away, she was a cousin. She wanted to get revenge on all of Mysterio's, you know, enemies. And and also in this story is another subplot involving Mysterio's old girlfriend, who's now married to a guy named Joe, who, if you remember, was in the last Ditko Amazing Spider-Man right. issue number thirty-eight. So yeah. I was hoping it'd be Joey Z. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know, but we don't know who he was. Um, <laughs> So, and then oh. when they take McGuire back away, and Spider-Man says, hey, whatever happened to Danny Burkhardt? And then the Mysterio costume that's been standing there all this time, the eyes open up on the uh, the little amulets or whatever, and he walks away laughing. <laughs> so, it's like, okay, what the hell was that? You know, the implication is that maybe Burkhardt really was Mad Jack, and now Burkhardt is Mysterio, and maybe... McGuire Beck really was Mad Jack, but the problem is, you don't, you really don't 
feel comfortable that that was the, that happened that that was the answer right. to everything it was very unsatisfying and uh, the uh, and and then if you remember good old Kevin Smith came back did the evil that men do a four part you know the six part miniseries that lasted about five years yeah. uh, and at the end he tried to make a character that he created the third of Mysterio. Uh, hmm. Francis Clume, and then Peter David, in Friendly Neighborhood, brought Burkhart, Clume, and then apparently the ghost of the original Mysterio all together, and then right. finally Dan Slott solved it all for everybody in Brand New Day, and he did that by just ignoring it all, <laughs> and said <laughs> he's Mysterio, he's the master of illusion, and that's all you need to know. And even though I have always said that I'm a continuity fanboy whore, I agree. Sometimes you just got to give it a pass. And like when Doc yep. Ock was brought to yep. life by mystic ninjas, you know, you got to, because it was so stupid to kill him off in the first place, whatever brings him back, I don't care. Story was a big disappointment. The best thing about it is is Lee Week's art, and I have always loved mm-hmm. Lee Week's Mary Jane. I just I think it's oh yeah I think it's just a beautiful Mary Jane. She's not a sex kitten or a sex toy. She really even though she's gorgeous, there is still a little girl next door to her. Yeah. Though she is drop dead gorgeous, so that's the best part of this miniseries. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just whew, what a mess! What an absolute mess that Mysterio thing is. That what Kevin Smith did to him? Yeah. All right, uh, we got one more. We got several more. This one, if I remember correctly, is awful. Uh, Spider Man and Morrow from the X Men. Bad oh. to the bone. Marrow. Marrow. Uh, Scott oh. Lobdell and art by Ali Gaza. Ali, who is that? Like Ali? Uh, it sounds like a member of the Taliban or something. But uh, the Mar Marrow is that? It's Matt She's one of the least loved X Men characters of all time. Oh, no, 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 she was the hottest new X Men because she, oh, she appeared, was Brad. She was. She was all. She originally appeared, I think, in either Amazing Spider Man Five or Peter Parker Five. It was like because uh, Mackie was writing them both, I think, or maybe it was issue four. I forget. But she, yeah. she first appeared there to. Uh, I mean, for Spider Man fans, that's the first time we saw her, and it was on the cover. Meet Merrill, the hottest new X Man. So, oh wow! And that's what it said. Huh? That's wow. what it said. Now, honestly. Why the FC, how the FCC hasn't sued Marvel for misrepresentation and false advertising is beyond me. <laughs> but then again, you know, this still isn't as bad as Stan Lee's own shilling of Nightcat some years earlier. So. <laughs> love how you brought that back. Oh, I love that. Was That's that nice. the one based on uh, Pamela Anderson as a stripper? No, no. They, yeah. This is late, late 80s. Oh, okay. Yeah, Nightcat was one of those. Nightcat, in a way, was almost like a, a Dazzler type, you know. It's true. It's true. You know, Jim Shooter had the idea of the Dazzler being a well, him and Casablanca Records, the Dazzler being a disco singer who had a comic book. Well, Nightcat was going to be kind of a eh, sort of a black cat character, I guess, but she was going to be kind of a night a vigilante who also was a rock singer, and. <laughs> a, Apparently, yeah. the person they cast as the night cat apparently neither could act nor sing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Sadly, I own a copy of Night Cat. Oh yeah, I'm one of You're them. You're the one. Had a beautiful Joe Jesco cover. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, let's get back to the hottest new X Man, Marrow. 
Marrow. Spider-Man Marrow Collector's One-Shot, because Marrow's gimmick now is <laughs> that she, <laughs> she grows bones out of her skin, breaks them off, and uses them as daggers and spears. It's turning you on, George. Oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> so, I can barely contain myself. So, you're, you're growing some bone yourself there, George. Uh, <laughs> it's be, uh, oh, I don't No, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, so, you know, it's like... The thing is, if you've got marrow growing bones and using them as weapons, what's next? Do you have a, vil- a superhero called Excrement who, when you know, who in duty calls, he takes a shit and then he flings it at a villain? When, when duty, uh, when duty calls, you said duty. <laughs> <laughs> well, duty. Yeah, duty. And then, a re- and then there's like, then what's next? The superhero known as Placenta. I oh. just. Oh, or or how about one named Bile? You know, it's like, honest to God, how about how about Naval Lint? Nero is barely less absurd than any of those. I agree. And it's like, who who gets these ideas? But anyway, okay. There's a, there's a difference between like bone and smegma. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, bone is <laughs> bone is okay. I think it's not blood. It could be worse. Blood is worse. It's it's lame. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I was about to say someone could use it. I was going to say that there could be a villain using infected blood as a weapon, but that's a little bit too politically incorrect. I think we've had that actually. Oh, gross. Um. Anyway, the story opens with Spider-Man. Marrow, for whatever reason, has decided to jump off a bridge to try to kill herself, and now Marrow and Spider-Man is not. Doesn't want her to do it, and so Marrow, who obviously has taken speech le- speech therapy lessons from the Hulk, says, <laughs> "Marrow will say again, Webman, let go of Marrow." <laughs> you know what kind of car Marrow drives? A Camaro. I'm so sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so. Sorry. I, I, in go the ahead. back of my head, I was thinking a Camaro, but then I was like, no, because Brad wouldn't do that to us. <laughs> and and so it's clearly not that. But apparently I was wrong. Oh, go ahead. But, you know, I, I almost expected him to say, you know, what happens, you know, during sex or whatever. Her boyfriend says, did you come, Marrow? But uh, that... <laughs> That's oh, a lot God. worse than that. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, right. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning. You're keeping this old man up way too late. Anyway, so... <laughs> Marrow pulls a bone dagger out of her skin and cuts Spider-Man with it, and he drops oh. her, and Marrow plunges to her apparent death below. Spider-Man, as he's sitting on the side of the bridge, sulking. Then we have flashback. All right. Oh, no. <sighs> okay. Have mercy. Yeah, and this is a good one, because... Peter Parker is at a nightclub with his roommate at this time, Randy Robertson, because you know Peter went to live with Randy when Mary Jane was apparently dead. Because Peter got thrown out of his apartment because Mary Jane was no longer or townhouse because Mary Jane was no longer around to pay the bills. Rather than go live with Aunt May, you know, and you know, get his head straight, you know, eat some wheat cakes, you know, just get his life back together. He decides to room with a dude whose mission in life was to get Peter laid the moment after the last spade of dirt was shoveled onto Mary Jane's grave. Yep. <laughs> That's true. Except for Paul Jenkins, who tried to write Randy with 
uh, who wrote Randy a little bit better and did try to make him more of a concerned friend. Everybody else wrote Randy as a an asshole who was just trying to get Peter laid, Peter to get laid. So I anyway, was reviewing so, that for Hero at the time, and I think I even called him a douche at one point. You probably did. It was, <laughs> and that may have been one of the kinder things you were willing to say. Uh, <laughs> but here, and this is actual dialogue. I mean, really, I mean, this is how it was written. Mm. They're at a nightclub. Admit it, Peter Parker. This is the happiness, happeningest nightclub in New York City. We got your hotties, your toddies, and your uber hottie toddies all under one roof. Oh. <laughs> now, I was a young man once. A long time ago, admittedly, I was watching newsreels and, you know, and listening to little Orphan Annie on the radio and things like that. But, you know, and I went tonight, I went out drinking with friends and things like that. But honest to God, I don't think I ever talked anything remotely like this. When you were young and hip, did you talk anything remotely like this? No, uh, no, not hottie toddies, yeah. Well, not just hotties and toddies, but uber hottie toddies. You know. No. Now remember, kids, this is why Peter Parker has to be single. <laughs> to exchange priceless, hip dialogue like this. You know, so obviously Scott Lobdell went to the same writing school that, you know, or he, he went to the Bill Mantlow slash Chris Claremont school of writing African-American characters. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, now... Anyway, so they're at this nightclub. Peter's having a miserable time. But then he meets a wait the wait he meets a waitress, and the waitress recognizes him because she happened to be a student of his because he does some grad teaching at ESU. Mm-hmm. And she was in his class on when he was talking about transbiogenitive microtoxicology. And apparently such a thing doesn't exist because I tried to Google it and couldn't find it. Anyway. <laughs> nice. Because I was going to show how smart I was by just saying what it was. But yeah, what I, is, I couldn't find it. So anyway, her name is Sarah Rushman. Okay. Now, I couldn't tell if she was a hottie, a toddy, or an uber hottie toddy. You know, you'll have to go pick up this this collector's item one-shot, because that's what it says on the cover right here. I'm looking at it. Collector's item one-shot. So you have to pick pick this up to see whether or not it's, uh, you know, what she looks like. Well, anyway, Peter is just absolutely charmed by her. And she says, well, I get all, you know, uh, my shift's done at 1030. And Peter says, okay, well, I'll I'll step out for a little bit and come back. Peter steps out, hears some screams, runs to the action, and sees that some guy has been killed, and he's got a bunch of bone daggers sticking out of him. You know? (laughs) And then it's it's Marrow. You know? And Spider-Man says Marrow. Or, you know, he he sees Marrow. and, And then Marrow gives him this precious line. I'm bad to the bone, webman. <laughs> now, you know, George accused me of making shit up. You know, oh, these last two, I, I, I've got it right in my hand. <laughs> I'm not up. Oh, that's horrible. Anyway, Meryl gets away. Spider-Man goes back to the club to meet Sarah. Sarah's gone. Yeah, she figures she must. He figures yeah, she must have stiffed him more. Left him stiff. But uh, so your first clue that Sarah Rushman is not who she appears to be. So anyway, the next day he's lecturing ESU, sees Sarah again. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. I I walked out when I got done, but there was so much craziness. I just went back to my apartment and, you know, 
found some other guy to sleep with, and he said, and she says, would you uh, like to go out? So they go out, they have a good time, but then she invites, she literally invites, literally she invites Peter up to spend the night with her. Uh, she says, my roommate is out of town, would you like to come, you know, basically she's asking him if he wants to come up and get laid. And uh, Peter then starts thinking about Mary Jane, says, no, says, Sarah's a nice girl, but it would have been too crowded with the three of us. Uh <laughs> Uh, I was about to say, though, in, in, later in uh, Marvel Knights Spider-Man, when Peter wakes up to Mary Jane and the black cat looking over him, I'll bet he didn't think it was too crowded for the three of them at that point. <laughs> so anyway, later, uh, when he walk, anyway, when Peter walks away from Sarah's townhouse, then all of a sudden he hears Sarah scream and changes to Spider-Man and sees that Sarah looks like she's being kidnapped, but it's actually S.H.I.E.L.D. led by Sharon Carter, Captain America's old squeeze. And then Marrow shows up, you know, and then Spidey puts two and two together and realizes that, wah, wah, Sarah is Marrow. Oh, couldn't see that coming. No, didn't see that coming. No, she was raised in a hostile alternate dimension. <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. found her and is using mind Oh, to turn her into an agent who kills life model decoys, LMDs for the uninitiated. You so know, guess, man. You know, stickers were sticking out of an LMD. Damn, why, that, old, that old chestnut. Why she's going around killing? I mean, you know what? What? Why does Shield have have like mutant assassins going around killing LMDs? I, I, I mean, it's not explained in the story, and maybe we don't need to know. Uh, anyway. She kills Spider-Man, but Spider-Man tries to reach into the Sarah within her, and it hap- it works. And then she decides to jump off the bridge, which is where he first came into the story. She So she jumps off the bridge, she goes in the water, and then some kind of indescribably huge, unidentifiable creature finds her, takes her to the sewer, says, Welcome home, Meryl. We have not... We no wait, we have been not same and yes that's how he talks. We have been not same without you. Oh ye end or ye beginning. Wow. That is that was that was horrible. But it's a collector's item. <laughs> I I remember reading I, it back in the day and it it's just one you instantly delete from your brain. I barely remember the plot. Horrible. There wasn't a plot. <laughs> there wasn't a plot. Yeah. Want to remember? Yeah. So, uh, since since we've been doing this review, a little follow up to a thing we were mentioning in the other uh, review of Nightcat. Jr. You, ha- I mean uh, George, you have breaking news about Nightcat. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, While well, you guys mentioned that, I was like, oh my god, I think I vaguely remember that. And then I went and I um, I googled that that actress who played her. Uh, I forgot that she was in uh, Tromeo and Juliet, which I actually – it's a trauma film that I'm actually familiar with. Um, yeah. And I she had some uh, – what's the word, best word I'm looking for? Uh, she had moments where she wasn't wearing as many clothes as she was in the Marvel thing. <laughs> but then apparently I found that, that arrest record thing. That's weird. George, uh, George went to arrest.org. <laughs> I didn't go to it. I Googled it. You Googled and her. Was, yes, and that's where I found and it. And she has seven counts of arrest. She was <laughs> a, allegedly burglarizing an occupied dwelling and was unarmed. She then obstructed justice and and, uh, and to me threatened a witness. Uh, let's see. Resisting an officer, obstructing without violence, contempt of court. There you go. 
uh, an injunction protection on domestic violence, contempt. I wonder if that is domestic violence against her or her husband or, or spouse. I don't, I don't know. know. Is that even the same person? I was about to say, that's a pretty flattering picture. <laughs> oh, it's say. awful. Nightcat Knight has gone on the wrong side of the, the road, evidently, allegedly, here. Well, uh, also, how old she is. She's 44. She's an old, she's an old cat now. Uh, and she's also an out of county. than me. No, that was her last age, 38. Oh. Her current she age was 44. Has two out of county warrants, too. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> What the heck happened to Nightcat? That's what we need to know. Yeah, here's, here's another one without the glasses. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, please, George, when we post this episode on the message board, link <laughs> this. Oh, man, there she is again. <laughs> and we, have, we have video of her arrest. Okay, uh, Nightcat. Another reason why we love spider history. We've got another another Spider-Man uh, mini, one or it's a one-shot that came out. More Paul Jenkins, uh, The <laughs> Century and Spider-Man, uh, written by Paul Jenkins, art by Rick Leonardi, who uh, did a lot of artwork on Spider-Man 2099. Paul's not having a very good month. And, oh, and <laughs> dang. This one sucked, too? All right. Well, again... See, that's the thing. All these things require some kind of setup. You know, I just can't go in and and talk about it, you know, because it's got to be a setup. So anyway, okay. Now, a lot of you out there, you know, because you're not old, you know, old men like us, you know, and who, you know, maybe you're young and you have lives and you're doing more interesting things on a Friday night than talking about Spider-Man on a podcast. But you might remember um, the Sentry. As a member of Brian Bendis' New Avengers for a while, and then he was Norman Osborn's enforcer during Dark Avengers, and I think he died at the end of Siege. Is that is that correct? I think he did. Well, he he died uh, by Thor throwing and throwing him into the sun. However, in in Uncanny Avengers, he's come back from the dead. Oh boy! Yeah, he's he's back, but he's a bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the Sentry got started, and the reason there's a story behind the Sentry is because, I forget which one of the, it was Newsaramas or CBR, whatever, newsflash, these old sketches were found in the Marvel offices, uncovered of an old superhero that Stan had been working on in the early 60s before the Fantastic Four and everybody else, and Stan goes, oh, I forgot all about that one, I, yeah, 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 you know, oh, this is a real historic find and everything, well, that was a scam. The, yep. the, you know, the century it was a pretty good scam. We all bit. Yeah, the century was created by Paul Jenkins, and that was just a scam to get you all interested. And here is the century's gimmick: he's a bipolar Superman. That is all you need to know about the century is that he's a bipolar Superman. Yep. Anyway, so the story is this story. <coughs> all begins. All the Marvel superheroes are gathered at the Statue of Liberty. Awaiting the void. Excuse me. I had to take a drink there. Now, this is not... Don't get get this confused with the little gnome that used to advertise Domino's Pizza. That was, <laughs> that was the, the Noid. This the is, Noid from the 80s, yeah. I remember the, the Noid. Void. I remember the yeah, Noid. The Void, too. the Noid. Yeah. And this is yeah. how the Void was described by Jenkins, by Paul Jenkins. 
a shadow beast who devours the hearts of men, the soul destroyer, the end of everything. The sick, black, smokestack stench of a creature who is now a mile out to sea and approaching fast. And he's going to annihilate everyone and everything unless the sentry stops him. Okay, that's the lead in. And then, and now we have flashback. Okay, the sentry really was a great hero in the Marvel Universe. Uh, he was rever- known and revered by all superheroes. He was even adored by Aunt May, who called him a proper gentleman and not like that awful Spider-Man. Well, anyway... The Sentry knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man because the Sentry knows everything. Right. You know, and the Sentry comes to him for help, says, I need your help. The Void has teamed up with your old enemy, the Kingpin. Well, they go to where the Void and the Kingpin are, and actually the Void is really controlling the Kingpin, and the Void is drawn like a second cousin to the Shadow. Anyway, the void then touches Spider-Man and all kinds of past and future memories collide, blah, 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 the void. And then the void disappears. Spider-Man wakes up and the sentry's there. The sentry allows Spider-Man to take a picture of him because no one has ever gotten a picture of the sentry before. So Spider-Man takes a picture of him and Peter takes it to the bugle and he wins a Pulitzer Prize and he gets rich off the merchandising rights. (laughs) <laughs> but then the void returns, and now Spider-Man is sitting here contemplating the end of the world. To be continued in the Sentry versus the Void. So, <laughs> you don't even get a story. <laughs> Basically, well, the Sentry yeah. and the Void were the same person. The Void right. was the evil part of the Sentry. That's all you need to know. It's convoluted, more convoluted than that, but that was it. And in order to protect the world from the Void, Reed Richards did a mind wipe. Does that sound familiar? Did a mind wipe on the Sentry and on the world mm-hmm. so that the world never heard of the Sentry. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Not a fan of the Sentry, JR. No. <laughs> but Paul Jenkins should have gotten a credit when One More Day was written because this is One More Day before One More Day. That's true. A <laughs> uh, <sighs> lot, lot of spider books this month. I mean, a lot of them. I mean, this is uh, one, two, what three, month, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven spider books in one month. That's more than they produce now. <laughs> Thank goodness they don't produce that many now. I know, my God. Man, I tell you, and you wasted your money on a lot of these. Uh, I, I don't think you liked any of them except Daredevil Spidey. Uh, that one was marginally interesting, yes. But yeah, it was it was a pretty low month. Pretty low. And poor month, Paul yeah. Jenkins contributed three to two of them. Yeah, well, two of the clinkers. Yeah, and then he he he, yeah. produced, he also gave us the one that was the best, but. So there you go, kids, this month in spider history. For the year, for February 2001, you know what? It was 2001. Where the hell was the trip to Jupiter? Where was the space station? Where was the monolith? We didn't get any of that. Uh, Thank you to our friends over at SamRuby.com for helping us do spider history each and every month. They they document what came out and where, and uh, just a nice encyclopedic website. 